You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. Right, we are here live with Wake Up Call Live, and joining me again, I have my esteemed panel for part three of Divorce Corp. Hopefully, you guys aren't sick of hearing about it yet. Um, we're going to talk about Divorce Corp again, the documentary that you can find on Prime Video. And joining me today are some people you may know already. Uh, Christopher Anderson, founder of Sunnyside Services. He's an attorney, writer, thought leader, and relentless advocate obsessed with helping lawyers to have more successful law firms. I have worked with him personally, and I can vouch that all of that is true. Jennifer Armstrong, my good friend from New Jersey in my neighborhood. She practices exclusively divorce and family law and some estate planning. And also Catherine Miller. She is a New York family law attorney and founder of the Miller Law Group with offices in Westchester and New York City. Thank you for joining me, you guys. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so we we kind of started the conversation. I had to cut you all off because I really want um, our eavesdroppers here to be able to listen in on the conversation. You guys are straight shooters. I know you're going to be honest with us, but... I want to hear your initial reactions to Divorce Corp. You've all watched it. So you can fight over who goes first. What did you think? Well, I'll leap into the into the void, if that's okay. You know, it made me really uncomfortable. And it made me really uncomfortable in part because I didn't agree with it. And in part because I did. And, and you know, I think it's complicated. And I... Do, I am uncomfortable with the idea that it's that simply evil, right? Because I think that most lawyers go to law school because they want to help people and make a living. And most judges sit on the bench because they want to help people also. What happens then sometimes gets corrupted and sometimes gets polluted, sometimes gets twisted. But family issues are so complicated because they involve the law, but it's not really a legal problem. I think of it as a people problem with a legal consequence. And yet we're addressing it with legal concepts as lawyers. That's what we do, right? And the courts deal with laws. And and it and when you get those feelings and emotions and and everything that's involved in somebody's personal life, their children, their sex life, their money, their intimate relationship personally you know and 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 professionally and all of that sort of stuff all kind of wound up into something that then somebody else is going to make a decision about that's really really difficult but i also think it really oversimplified the evilness of it because it's not really like that for the overwhelming majority of people who are getting divorced. Do some people have terrible experiences? Do some people get caught up in corrupt situations? Do some people get milked and built for for every legal dollar? Absolutely. But that is not the overwhelming majority or even the majority in my experience. And I'm interested to hear from everybody else what they think. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, so to piggyback on what Catherine was saying. I can hear you before... Before you go, Chris, I think you were talking and I couldn't hear you. Okay, so Jen, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. Um, so as to what Catherine was saying, yeah, I had some conflicted feelings about it. I really got um, triggered by it. I appreciated that they were trying to show individuals what to look out for perhaps with respect to attorneys and experts and the legal system. But the biggest component that was missing was the litigants themselves. And it didn't offer litigants any solutions or any um, remedies 
to these issues. It really was just this, you know, attack and let's just show these extreme situations from around the country of what is happening with no solutions, no solutions for the actual litigants going through these things. And that I have a really big problem with. You can highlight problems all day long, but you need to also highlight here are some things you can do about do about that. Yeah, that's a good point. There weren't any solutions. It was just kind of, you know, as I said earlier, I didn't want to just complain, but it was just complaining mm -hmm. with no real solution at the end, except maybe, you know, support divorce reform, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, um, whatever that means. Yeah. 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 And that's and so uh, hopefully you can hear me now. Yeah. Um, I adjusted the uh, mic setting there. But so, yeah, whatever that means. And I think that was sort of the problem. Right. And so I, I'll jump on with Jennifer there. But the. You know, I want to also, I, I like to agree with a premise and then, then we can, you know, we can attack it a little bit. The, 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 there's a premise that I agree with and there's a fundamental problem with Divorce Corp that I think we can have a conversation about the problem without falling into the same trap. So what I agree with is one comment, and I think it was made towards the very end, um, which was that there, in a sense, in a very real sense, the family law system is fundamentally broken, and um, I think you have to break that down. Fundamentally, meaning it, 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 you know, they said oh, it was all set up with good intentions. I think it was set up without any real intentions. Like it, it's been cobbled together as mores have changed, as people have changed, as what it means to be a family has changed, and we just keep cobbling stuff together. And the foundation was never even set. That's why it's fundamentally broken. Um, the I think the fundamental problem with the with the show and where we I think the conversation could be much smarter if we get away from it is to treat the participants, the litigants, the husbands, the wives, the fathers, the daughters, the children as victims of this evil system. They're not. They are participants. And the problem we have to visit. The problem that each, the, the lawyers, the courts, the experts, and the litigants all contribute to the problem, and the solution has to involve all of them. So, I mean, so yes, I agree, but I think we have to, we have to kind of turn it 90 degrees to really see what needs to be done. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I've said in uh, the prior episodes that, you know, generally my response to it was that it was a lot of hyperbole but that there were some kernels of truth to it. You know, I think that we all know, and, and just kind of to, I don't want this to come across as like a bunch of lawyers, you know, detesting what was said in Divorce Corp, because people will yeah. be like, well, of course they're going to say that, they're lawyers. But, I, you know, really being objective, and I know the people sitting here today um, are settlement-minded, you know, do feel like they're doing a service for families. I, I call a divorce and couple a family in crisis for the contested matters. And I know that we all have good intentions, but there are attorneys out there that do milk the file, do churn the case, do, uh, you know, start everything out uh, with a, an eye towards litigation and not really resolution. Um, so I kind of want to address that. And what I've said is that, unfortunately, I think we have a system that allows people who want to do that, it gives them a place to do it and a way to do it. And am I being naive thinking that there's any way to try to tighten the reins a bit so that uh, oh, she, yeah. oh what happened no you froze just a little bit but uh okay. Catherine, I, I think you have the right answer to this i'll just why don't you start with you and i'll jump in well i think that um you know client education is is a big piece of this right and and educating the public about the choices i mean in the program, you know, there were a few stories or vignettes where uh, someone said, well, we settled it all. And then the judge, you know, refused to take our settlement, which, you know, just doesn't happen very often unless there's a really terrible flaw in, in the agreement or the people have agreed to do something that the law really doesn't like permit, like not pay child support or something like that. Right. Uh, I think that most people, and, and Christina, you know, the statistics show that 95% of divorcing people in the United States settle before a judge makes a decision after a trial, 95%. 
and in New York, it's actually 97%. And I think it might be a little lower in New Jersey, but it's pretty high. And if you think, okay, you know what? I have a 95% chance of winning the lottery. Wouldn't you buy a ticket? Heck yeah. Right. Or, you know, if a doctor said, well, 95% chance this is going to happen. Sure. You'd worry about that 5%, but, and you should, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't, and you should worry about having a stranger make a decision about your life and your children's lives for sure. Uh, but if people were to realize that it's not whether or not you're going to settle, it's very likely how, that that is a completely different hiring decision when they go to hire lawyers or hire mediators or hire professionals to help them. And if people who were facing divorce knew that, then I think that that would change the business of law, the business of divorce law in a tremendously powerful way. Because people just don't know what they don't know. And another point that they make very, I think, appropriately and right in the beginning of the documentary is that it takes 10 minutes to get married. <laughs> and, you know, you sign a couple of papers and that's it, right? That is totally it. And it just takes a way lot longer to get divorced. And, and if, I think that if we educated people in high school, what it meant to get married, what it meant to have these commitments and these social contracts that have legal consequences, that would make a really big difference as well. Yeah, it sounds like it's education. And I guess it depends who's doing the educating, because I'm sure you've all had a consultation with someone who's interviewing lawyers <laughs> and they've talked to other people that are like, well, you know, this other person told me I should just go file a complaint right now. And, you know, then I'll be the one kind of exploring that, you know, sometimes there are reasons you need to do that. But I think more often my strategy is to start out with a letter. Let's see if we can come to the table early. Um, but the system, at least here in New Jersey, really doesn't encourage, it doesn't do much to encourage that. I mean, they, the judge may do that verbally, but there's such a long process involved way before you ever get to a place in the litigation when you're actually required to go to mediation. And I'm just wondering, why don't we force that on people way sooner? I'd like to answer that, but I think Jennifer had something to say. And I'll jump in. That's a great question. It, it is a great question. And what I was going to say about that is we, we should. We should encourage people to have those discussions as early as possible, because not for nothing, the system is set up to help procrastinators. I mean, again, it's a mindset. It's an education problem. It's a mindset problem. People don't like to be uncomfortable. They don't like to discuss things that are um, outside their comfort zone. I am a big promoter of premarital agreements and everything. If you cannot have these difficult decisions at a time when you love and like each other, how are you ever going to have them later on down the road when that trust is lost and you're no longer liking that person so much and you're seeing all kinds of conspiracies left and right and, and everything. So there has, there does have to be some education, educating the clients. There has to be a mindset, excuse me, a mindset switch and everything that, you know, it's not every man for themselves here and, and everything. Um, how can we bring these two people to a table and have these discussions and try to operate in some good faith towards a settlement without having to spend all of our money as this documentary alleges? Yeah. And, and this documentary, like just for listeners, like they played last, last fast and loose with some numbers. First of all, $50,000 average divorce, that's not a real number. Um, I work with divorce law firms across the country. That's not a real number as an average. Do some cost that? Yeah. Some do cost in the millions. I mean, that's absolutely true. But that is absolutely not an average. I just wouldn't want anybody. Like, I know the lawyers are listening to this. They know. But you have some civilians, shall we call them? Non-lawyers <laughs> listening to this. People who might be thinking about divorce. Like, that is not an average. Um and uh, just want to get there. But so the, you know, to, to kind of marry between what Catherine was saying and what Jennifer was saying, I, I, you know, I think it's all well and good to stand there with a picket sign and want to picket uh, to, for family law reform, which was not defined, right? But I think lawyers, lawyers are listening to this, right? We lawyers, Catherine, Jennifer, me, we, Christine, you, we have an opportunity. We don't need to reform the courts. We don't need to reform anything but ourselves. And uh, we, you know, the first step, and I, I, you know, I know, I know a lot more about what Catherine does than I know what Jennifer does, but, you know, Catherine has a big part of her practice where that actually provides a complete alternative. 
right? That, that, that has a structure uh, that people can participate in that is different and that is, that is, that is um, where they work together. Um, on the question of mediation, that's a fun one because, you know, you, I got like, you got like the Northeast group here, um, except me. Um, I, uh, I, I do have a law firm in New York, but we don't do family law. I have law firms in the Southeast and in the West. And um, mediation, particularly in the West, is required. It is required early. And it's not a panacea at all uh, because when you're forced into mediation, it's a box you have to tick. And, and people like lawyers don't do it right and litigants don't do it right. So part of the reform I think that we can do is to treat mediation really seriously, to not do it too soon before we've gathered enough information to be able to present alternatives to the litigants so they can make an informed decision about the rest of their lives um, and to where they feel they're invested in that process. Um, you know, I, I find that a lot of lawyers come to mediation like without preparation, like they're just going to wing it. And like my, my teams, like we treat mediation like a trial. We prepare as much as we do for a trial because it's our client's best shot at getting a resolution that they control. And it's the, probably their last shot um, at getting a resolution that they can control because we, we treat mediation as what happens if negotiation has failed. And that's all a lot to say that, that I think it's incumbent upon lawyers to provide the alternative pathway. The courts will not stand in our way. We don't need to reform them to bring a better solution to our clients. Absolutely. Well, I'm happy to hear that they're doing uh, mediation earlier. It's mandatory. You cannot schedule a hearing unless there's domestic violence. You cannot schedule a final hearing. And in most counties, you can't schedule a preliminary hearing, which is that's where the problem is um, without mediation. So when people file a complaint, how soon after are they required to have mediation on the calendar? The court issues, I'm um, in Colorado, with which I'm most familiar, the court issues a, um, a case management order, a scheduling order that includes the mediation dates within a week. Ooh, wow. wow. You, you know, you said something, Christopher, about lawyers coming not prepared to mediation. Mm -hmm. And you, I have done a lot of mediation training in the New York State court system. And, and so I've talked to the judges and the, and the court personnel, and you know what they tell me? They tell me the exact same thing. Lawyers come to court ill-prepared. Yeah. They, in, until they put a trial date on the calendar, the lawyers aren't prepared. And I find that shocking too, right? Because I think that being prepared is, is important. But being prepared to not necessarily just try your case, because I just want to back up a second. I think that one of the things that happens is that, that people getting divorced feel vulnerable. And they are vulnerable because they don't know what their future holds. They don't know what their legal rights are. They don't know what the negotiation is going to look like. And I say it's a negotiation, whether or not you're heading to litigation, mediation, collaboration, or just a straight up negotiation. This is all, these are all different forms of negotiation and they're afraid about it. And then they walk into a lawyer's office and a lawyer says, I'll protect you. And, and they're like, oh, thank goodness, someone is here to protect me. And then they become really vulnerable to whatever it is that lawyer is selling. And maybe the lawyer is selling alternative dispute resolution, consensual dispute resolution, let's find a way to work this out. Or maybe they're selling the kinds of things we see in the divorce court documentary. But th that if they really understood that they have a lot more power than they know they do, that these are their lives, their children, their money, their life that they're going to be negotiating and negotiation again being the key thing. I think that's really important. So and that the lawyer should come knowing the facts, whether or not they're coming to court or coming to mediation so that they can really help the people that day get as far as they possibly can in that time that they're paying for. So I, I, segue, I, I but. totally agree. I, I tell clients two things when they have a consultation with me. Number one, you can settle at any point in time. The judge is never going to turn away mm -hmm. your settlement. And number two, 
you need as much money and resources at the end of all of this for you and your family. You do not want to be giving it all to me and you should not want your spouse should not be wanting to give it all to his or her attorney. And you need to remind them of that. I mean, again, it's a mindset shift and everything. I try to get these people as much as possible to look at these things almost from a business standpoint. And again, that's difficult because again, it's so emotional. There are children involved, but they really do have to bear in mind the end game. Where are we going? Where do we want to land at the end of end of this and everything? I want you to think about the here and now, but I also want you to be planning in advance on where you want to be. And then we have to try to get your spouse there as well with his or her attorney and sometimes that's the obstacle that we're facing yeah and you know we've all had um plenty of mindset training we're familiar with with that and i i want to bring up the role that fear plays because everyone who starts out their divorce you know most people there's fear involved it could be fear of not having enough money to support yourself or fear of having to give up what you feel is more than a fair share of your assets and be left with nothing. It's fear of what's going to happen to your kids. Will you get to see them? Is someone going to take custody away? We've heard litigants say that all the time. I've had plenty of scared parents. Unfortunately, it's often the mom. Well, my, he's saying he's taking the kids away and I'll never see them again. And, you know, we all know that that's not going to happen, except maybe the most egregious circumstance, which frankly, I've never seen. Um, so there's a lot of fear. And I think what all of you are, are saying is um, correct, that a lot of it depends who these people come into contact, the professionals, not, you know, their hairdresser or what their husband is telling them, but the professionals involved that are there to guide them through the process. You know, what are they telling them? What are they advising them to do? Are they advising them to go clean out the bank account and let's file an order to show cause, right? Because that's that's not helpful. Um, so I, you know, I, I hear you, um, Chris, when you're saying that just having mediation really early on, isn't necessarily the fix all. Um, I kind of still would like to see it in New Jersey just to see if it helps. Um, you know, there's Christina, it's getting the other side to agree to that. That I think is a real hurdle because you can, have the most reasonable, yeah, you can have the most reasonable client and, and everything and their most reasonable attorney that wants oh. to settle the case. But if you, if, but if the um, spouse doesn't want to, or they have an attorney that is not so um, motivated to do that, it's really the system is almost designed to help procrastinators and everything who want to avoid that. And that's one of the biggest problems. It's true. When you say procrastinators, do you mean the litigants or the attorneys? I mean both. I mean, I don't know if everybody else has experienced this. I don't know. I think it's personally, I think it's gotten worse with the pandemic where we have litigants who are overworked. They're tired. They're not providing documentation and discovery um, when we ask for it. And there's very little we can do if you don't provide the documentation and discovery. And then we have attorneys who are overworked and tired and are not answering correspondence, not answering emails, not getting back um, to, to you and everything. And you don't hear about anything on that particular case until a day or two before you have a court appearance or a court event and everything. I mean, I have a slew of these cases where I do nothing but subpoena discovery because I can't get anyone to follow any of the case management orders. I can't get anyone to move the case forward, which makes it especially difficult for the spouse that is being proactive and is participating and doing what they're supposed to be doing. Well, my complaint about that has always been that our system is set up in a way that it allows that. You know, I I was no. joking in the No, it lab. promotes you don't it. Think so? It promotes it. Oh, it promotes it. Okay. Um that that's sort of, you know, what I'm trying to focus on and I'm just wondering what you guys think about that. Is the system allows it? If the system didn't allow it, it couldn't happen. And again, I don't know if I'm just being, you know, overly optimistic that this is something that really could ever be fixed, at least to some degree. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, what if we actually had case management orders with dates that you actually have to follow? Yeah, well, and, and you know, again, in the, in the Colorado system, it's just a little bit more that way, a little bit. But let's face it, courts... Across the board, I mean, we, you know, our, my businesses do civil litigation as well as just family law. 
um, in different businesses, but uh, you know, across the board, the system rewards bad behavior, and that's a shame. Um, and that's again why it. I think the solution starts right here, right here. You know, the, this documentary to me. Catherine said to made her feel uncomfortable. It made me feel angry, and not at the documentary, but at us, at our profession. Um, because we take this incentive for bad behavior and we run with it. And, you know, the truth is, yeah, judges don't want to deal with discovery disputes. Judges don't want to hear about they didn't turn over their discovery. They don't want to hear about that. And at the end of the day, can you get some sanctions? Sure. Can you get some adverse inferences? Maybe. Um, but for the most part, they don't want to hear about it. So the bully wins. And it's hard for me to imagine a system that works better that's based on the adversarial system. And that's why, you know, my mission, my firms, is to empower our clients to make the best decisions for themselves mm -hmm. and their families. And I think if it starts there, and like to Jennifer's point, you need two to tango. If the other side just wants, and, and, and I think Jennifer's made a really good point that I haven't thought about this way. Like mine is always like, if the other side wants to fight, it's hard, it's hard to continue to bring them to the table. And that's true, but there are ways. Um, Jennifer's other point is if they just don't want to participate until the last minute, that's harder. Um, and the only thing we can do is be very, very, like is not to play that game and not to fall to the lowest common denominator. As attorneys, we come prepared. We very often will prepare their, their financial affidavit for them to the best we can. Say, is it like this? <laughs> you want to sign this one? Um, and you know, it's just sometimes, and I've learned this in business as well as in law, you win by doing everybody's work for them. And, and you just move the process forward. And I'll, I'll get off my soapbox in one second. The last thing that makes all of this world turn, as far as I'm concerned, is a mistake that we made as lawyers about 50 years ago and that we have to undo. If we undo this, we fix everything. Don't we keep should, me in suspense, Chris. <laughs> we gotta stop charging no people for our time. Yes, it's absurd. You know, I tell a joke um, when I when I'm on the road, uh, and it is joke fall. It usually goes over well, but it fell flat in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But they loved it in Salt Lake City, <laughs> which is you know, what are the two things people actually want to pay for by the hour? And I'll tell you what, lawyers isn't either of them. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I wouldn't think, I'm trying to think what it One is. One of them is parking. <laughs> parking. You know, but you, know, if you want to pay for parking by the hour. That's what you need it for. The other one, of course, mm -hmm. you know, sex. Um, I and, didn't want to uh, go there, Chris. I didn't want to be is. the one with my mind in the Yeah, but, but we <laughs> shouldn't be, right? Because our clients are coming to us with a problem. They pay us to resolve their problem. They don't care mm -hmm. how long it takes. But we've convinced them that they should. They do, uh, though. They don't. The you think it's oh, you think it's because once it's over, so I can stop paying you. No, it's worse. They think that our time is what's valuable, and that's not it. It's the solution we bring to the table that's valuable. Our time is worthless, and and because of that, they 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 compare hourly rates. They get hung up on 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 um, how much you know how how much time did you spend on that and whatever, as opposed to bringing results. Imagine, imagine if we, none of us build by the hour, gone is the incentive to drag it out, to, to drag it out. Gone is the incentive to do unnecessary things. Gone is the incentive to add drama and conflict to the case. All these incentives yeah. go away. Can I challenge you about that though? A little yes. bit, Christopher, because gone is also the incentive to do anything. Uh -huh. mm. Right. Exactly. And, and so I, I think that it's not so simple as just charging a flat fee or a segmented fee or, or something like that. I think that if we're going to really do this, and I think you're onto something here. So I'm not, I'm, I said I was going to challenge you a little on this, not entirely. So I think that, uh, uh, that the motivation to do anything goes away if, if you're not getting charged sort of by the hour or by that sort of thing. And, 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 and so, cause you'll just do something else or, or whatever. And so the, um, I think there should be, if we're going to think about this together as a community, 
of a way at a charge in a different way that some time incentive would be or or some other because not every person wants to wants a fast divorce and not a fast divorce right. isn't always a good thing i think that what i say to my clients when they say you know how fast can we get this done is that the person who wants it done really fast always gets the worst deal because yep. they want it over with really fast and pushing for it being over really fast it has them give away something else that's really important to them and that when we're talking about uh, what's really important to people being in pain they don't want to be in pain anymore but once they're out of pain then they forget that they were in pain and they wonder why they ended up with such a crappy result and when you right. remind them remember you were in such a big rush the pain of that goes away because that's how our brains protectively work that's why there are families with more than one child in <laughs> And, yes. and and so I think that that's, um, you know, a little bit of a challenge in working out a way that would align the lawyer and the client's interests in the same way. And I think that's what you're saying is if we were to say that the interests of the party and the uh, and the lawyer were closer, then yeah. it would be a better result for the people, for the client and and the bad feeling and the opportunity to take advantage of the system for the benefit of the lawyer would be lessened. I think um, this is something I've talked to Chris about in the past and something that uh, John, my business partner and I experimented with at our firm. We had a subscription model for a while that we gave people an option, just do a traditional hourly model and pay a traditional retainer or pay $2,000 a month, I think is what it was, um, just for litigation on a month to month basis. You paid a $2,000, sort of like a security deposit. We didn't call it that, but it was basically to pay for the last month so that if they didn't pay, you know, there was something to, to cover that month. And there were people that liked it and did it, but invariably we always got people that the month where there wasn't much happening, they felt like they were getting screwed. Yep. But interestingly, the month where there were things that busy and going on, they never complained about that, but we didn't complain about it because we felt that, you know, overall you're paying us for the service and you pay us $2,000 a month for as long as it goes on. And I think when I've spoken to other attorneys about this, their brain immediately goes to them also thinking that they're getting screwed because they're not getting paid for work that they're doing. I felt that overall, if I didn't have to deal with billable time and, you know, monitor associates work and, and deal with that, you know, all that billing stuff that we all have to deal with as law firm owners, that that was okay with me. If, if I was ultimately not going to make as much, you know, maybe if I, if I checked every hour, maybe I would have made a little more on that on those some of those cases. I didn't really care. That didn't bother me. Um, but I found it really hard to implement. And I think a lot of the problem there is because we're all so trained to bill by the hour. So yeah. I was going to ask Christina, when you did that, were you tracking time? We tracked and time. And were um, the, the litigants, were they still receiving bills that showed the time each month that was being done on their case? They, they saw it. I mean, we would no charge it. So, I mean, I guess they could do the math themselves. Um, well, that's what I mean. You know, I mean, for those, because again, how do you get around here in New Jersey? We have fee arbitration and I'm on um, the New, New Jersey Supreme Court fee arbitration um, committee. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, how do you stop a litigant taking you to fee arb and then how do you ha you have to now show that your fee is reasonable that you charged that client in spite of that retainer agreement well we did keep track of billing for that reason so that they could see what the time investment was and and overall what they ultimately paid the client themselves us for our own our own tracking purposes and fee arb if it happened it didn't happen with any of those clients um but I think again, that only proves that the problem that we have is that people are only capable of looking at what's reasonable in terms of time. 
Yeah, and yeah, so and Jennifer. Fun. Yeah, Jennifer's part of the problem. Like, I'm not, not yes, you are, Jennifer. Subscriptions. I am not a fan of flat fees. I, I'm the first one to admit it. Yeah, but yeah. but no, and 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 like that. This problem won't be changed overnight because Supreme Courts across this country, fee arbitration panels or whatever they're called in your state, um, all fall back to the billable hour. I mean, it's amazing. You'd think that this was handed down on a stone tablet on freaking Mount Sinai. Like, it's not how this happened. Like, the insurance companies in 1968 said, we need a better way to t see if attorneys are screwing us over. So, uh, yeah, you guys tell us how long you worked on stuff. And then we started, to, the insurance defense started doing it, and then and like it got, it, it, look at a bill from 1915 for family law. You know what it says? What? For family law services provided, $500. That's what it says. But how about we evolve to this, this, this time where we're wearing a lot more hats than just the lawyer hat. I think as family law attorneys, we're also wearing the therapist hat, the, you know, accountant CPA hat when our clients are calling. I mean, I can't, I mean, I don't want to, this whole, I don't want this to become, you know, a whole thing on um, billable versus non-billable hours. Right, but right. How do you stop a client who wants to ask those 50 million questions? Because let me tell you something. I, I run a, um, I moderate a Facebook group called New Jersey Divorce uh, Resources, Tips and Resources. And a lot of the people in this group were almost up to 800 members. They have attorneys and yet they're constantly posting questions in this group. Yeah. You know, asking they don't want to call their attorney because they because don't. Why should they pay for attorney. what they can get for free? Why should they pay? They don't want right. to pay. It's the American dream. I was just saying this to somebody last night. Now I'm going to go on a rant. Is the American dream is to get something for nothing? That's what it is. And how many? I mean, we're. I don't yell at me, Chris. But right now we're doing free consultations, That's and okay. I've always. I've always said that it's like people think we're McDonald's. They want a McDonald's drive-through where they just go through. There's something on the value menu that they can get real cheap and it's going to solve their problem. It's not realistic. So well, can I, can I back this conversation up and change the subject? Cause it's yes. so we don't spend the rest of the time talking about the billable hour. <laughs> yeah. So Christopher, you said something a few minutes ago like 30 minutes ago now, but uh, I'm joking, uh, about someone writes a letter and you feel like, you know, you have to respond in kind. And, and, and that's a false dynamic. And, and if somebody said it in the, in the documentary, yes, also, they, I mean, they write a nasty letter, so you have to write a nasty letter. Au contraire. In mm -hmm. fact, you're going to be a much better attorney. And, and if anybody's watching Getting Divorced, your attorney is a better attorney not to let the other attorney set the frame of the conversation. Never let that happen. And attorneys have a few things that they like to do that make this seem kind of obvious. Like you go to court, you want to be the first attorney to speak because that way you get to tell the judge the, the story the way your client sees it and the way you as an attorney think is more favorable to you. But if the other person starts you have the opportunity to break their frame. And that's much more powerful than responding in kind. And, and to always think that way, that when you feel vulnerable, don't fight back in the way the, the aggressor fought, you're going to lose that battle. Change the conversation, call them up and make and have a phone and have a conversation. Do something that makes it more personal because that is going to be a much more effective negotiating technique than responding in kind to the way the other guy set the tone of the conversation. Or woman. Or mm -hmm. I, I use it in the way the kids use it. These <laughs> I know. Like I'm, just, I'm feeling anything. alone here in the lower right-hand okay. corner. Yeah, Chris was the one who pointed that out. Um, that, I think, you know, I agree with all of that. Um, I'm wondering if you guys, though, and, and especially interested in hearing from you, Chris, because you work with attorneys throughout the country, what are some changes you've seen or heard of that have helped kind of maybe keep some of that hostility down and, and keep it more settlement focused? Yeah, oh, God. We're all silent. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I, I mentioned one, right? The, the, the encouragement of the early mediation. Like I actually lead a, a coaching group um, that we focus on what Catherine was just talking about. It's jujitsu. Um, it's, it's not um, allowing... And I did. I love the way Catherine phrased it. It's not. I haven't used it, and I'm probably going to talk to her about stealing it. But it's not allow. I love. I think you said not allowing them to set the frame or set the tone. Or, yeah, I right. love that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it goes all the way back to something someone told me a long time ago, which is you know never never jump in the mud to fight to wrestle with a pig, right? right? Because after mm-hmm. a short amount of time, nobody else is going to be able to tell the difference between you and the pig. One, and two, the pig likes it. Mm-hmm. And exactly. and so you know you, you you gain nothing and but you're using jujitsu using a way to you know acknowledge and then change the conversation uh, is is the most powerful way. But like listen, it's I think what Catherine said about this and Jennifer, I think you might have said it too. But like it, we can change attorneys' behavior all we want. It's about talking to the clients about you don't want. This is not the response you want your attorney to do, you know. And if, on a screen with all women, this is going to be a great comment. But you know, for our clients to be paying attorneys to engage in dick measuring contests is not a productive use of anybody's money or time. And and that's what I mean. It, 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 to that sense, like the documentary had something, right? It's just this is an arena, and we all we're the gladiators. And we go into this arena and people pay us to do our gladiator thing. And nobody's talking about the fundamental thing that drives what the conversation the way I think it needs to be driven, which is every attorney-client interaction has to start with, what do you want to happen? Because if that gets clear, then every decision from that moment forward can be, is this getting you towards that? And we that's what you know, again fundamentally broken that's not part of the conversation a judge before a hearing should say hey at the end of this what do you want to have happen what do you want to have happen that's not how it goes you know it's just like let's start fighting and let's start talking about the other person how bad they are so that that's that's a long-winded answer christina but it's it's about changing the conversation from the beginning to be goals focused and, and client mm-hmm. solution oriented. Well, the, the, I mean, the good attorneys like us, of course, will do that. But what about the one? What about the dabblers? I like to say the people that are like, oh, you know, the business is slow. Divorce is easy. I'll do that. I'll take some divorce cases. Just and do their work for them. Yeah, that's that's it. Just and, do their work. And for honestly, them. that is what it that is what it is. I mean, that's why I say, you know, I subpoena stuff all of the time. Um, I don't wait for my adversaries to answer discovery. I don't wait for them to give me the stuff. I just did two weeks of posts um, in this Facebook group and on my Facebook page, um, giving people the answers as to how do you get these important documents that you need for your divorce? You know, you don't have to wait around for somebody else to do all of this stuff. Provide the stuff to your attorney. Keep plugging forward. Move, move keep moving forward. The other side's either going to get with you or they're going to be left behind. But you have to make the client feel as though you're getting somewhere and you need to know and identify, as Chris said, where is that place? Where do we want to land? Where do we want to be? And if and everything should be towards that purpose. Okay. That's what all, every decision should be, um, you know, looked at in that view and everything. If it doesn't move us closer to our goal, why are we doing it? I've always wondered why we don't have form rugs form notice to produce in family law do you know any states that have that yes where colorado 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 has what it's called pattern rocks and pattern uh, rfds and they don't allow requests for admission and and so and then you're only allowed i don't practice very much i just advise <laughs> others but i think it's you're only allowed i think it's 10 non-patterns um okay. so so you you ask all the patterns which usually cover most everything. And then, you know, there's peculiarities in every case. So you, you're allowed to, if you want more, you got to ask for it. I mean, we've all seen those absolutely ridiculous rocks. <laughs> and I, full disclosure, I've probably sent some out myself. But when you're, when you're actually reviewing your client's answers, it's like, do you have a plane? 
Do you have a horse? Really? We don't know that already. We have to answer all these stupid questions. <laughs> well, you're assuming they're answering them. That's the other. The that's the other thing, and everything. You're assuming that the other side is doing that dis discovery. You know. Right. Yeah. Um. But I just find some of those things is like it's busy work. It's just busy work, and it's not to, if, build, to, build to me. File. It's like let's focus on because a lot of times I'll just get on the phone like to my adversary, like what, what can we really do to like, let's not just do the usual. Let's figure out what we really need to help these people. What discovery do they really need to help them rather than just follow the script? You know, I talk about that a lot is that a lot of attorneys just kind of follow a script, you know, this, and my favorite thing ever, and you get this from court staff a lot is, but this is how we've always done it. <laughs> Straight face. This is how we've always done it. Let's well, do it different. Well, that's the beauty of the collaborative process because it has a real structure and a real step-by-step -step way of getting through things, but it's very streamlined to what the information we need to share in order to get through it. And there, in order to commit to the collaborative process, you have to agree to three things one of which is that the attorneys are disqualified from litigating so that the, they cannot be thinking, you know what, I'll make more money if we go to court or I don't really need to settle it here because if I want to keep my job working for this client, I need to settle it in the collaborative process. The second idea is that we are going to have a transparent exchange of information, whether or not it's asked for or not. So that means everybody brings their information to the table and they agree by contract that they're going to do it. And not only do the parties do it, the people do it, but the lawyers do it too. And so we're agreeing amongst the the working group, you know, four, or if we work with uh, non with mental health professionals or financial people, you know, it's a larger group, but that we're just going to put our cards on the table with regard to what there is. And so all of that expensive, unnecessary discovery stuff, which for those of you non-lawyers listening means how we share information in the legal process. We just you know, put it down here and we're going to come to a shared understanding of our economic reality. And that shared understanding might mean a disagreement on how much an appropriate beauty budget is or how much we spend on vacations or whether or not gambling is a legitimate hobby or a dissipation oh, of marital assets. I mean, we might disagree about cer certain things, but that we just oh, have maybe. a shared understanding in, while I'm on my collaborative lecture. The third thing is that we agree that gonna, we're going to work for a resolution that works for everybody. And with those three things in place, there's so much detritus, unnecessary process that just kind of just goes away and say, we're going to negotiate based on a shared understanding of what the numbers are here to try to reach a resolution that works for both of the spouses and the kids if there are any. And it's, and it works great. It, I, it's unfortunate that there has to be this other, you know, ancillary process called collaborative law to do things the way everyone should really just be doing it. Like, it shouldn't have a name. It should just be how you do it, right? It should, should just be the process, how we divorce. Well, maybe ultimately it will be, Christina, but in the meantime, <laughs> it's got to be something. we all just get along? <laughs> well, that was the idea of, of Stu Webb, who invented collaborative law, was he was like, you know those cases where you're, you know the clients are reasonable, and you've had a number of cases with the other lawyer, and you know it's a good a good person when and they're settlement minded and we're all going to sit together and just talk about it and talk it through in a way that makes sense for everybody that was the purpose because those cases existed and he was just find, trying to find a way to institutionalize that and say what if we didn't know each other but we still agreed to this what if the people were scared but they still agreed to this then couldn't we bring more people into that you know we're going to get together and talk this through idea and that's where it came from well i like it i, th I wish i'd see um more people doing it um and other things like mediation and at, at this rate in new jersey i mean what is it taking us two years now to get a trial date i you know easily easily you, we have to be looking at other alternatives like mediation and arbitration and everything because you're never going to get a trial and everything is just not happening and so it's really harming families and keeping people in this limbo um where they can't move forward with their lives it's just uh, untenable and, and everything so we really do need to be educating our clients and helping them educate 
their spouse and get over that fear of what, you know, again, there's a lack of trust here. There's no trust anymore. Many of these people have been thinking about divorce for a very long time. Okay. I don't know about the rest of you, but my clients, they, they've all been thinking about this um, for months, if not years sometimes and everything. So one spouse has an opportunity to get wrap their head finally around the concept of getting divorced and moving on while the other spouse may be playing some sort of catch up, catch up because they've just been you know, blindsided by this, or they just found out about this and everything. So the education goes a long way. And then it's educating them and helping them understand that this can go so much faster and so much more smoothly if you get a like-minded attorney on the other side, and we can all work together towards the same common goal, that no one's really out to hurt the other person, that we're all here to try to come to a resolution that works for this family and their circumstances. You know, Jennifer, you make a really good point about how long people think about divorce. The studies show that the average man getting divorced has thought about it for two years. You know how long the average woman has thought about it? 18. Well, well, yeah. that. 10 <laughs> years. So yeah, when you think about it, they've been thinking about it for a long time. And in that time, if there are people like you, Christina, and all of us who can have information out there in the world about different options so that they don't just land in divorce court. <laughs> that you know what's interesting? I get that question all the time and I never, I mean, I guess I kind of know what it means, but it's such an odd question. I just want to find out my options. And I've just started telling them, you know, you have two options. You can stay married or you can get divorced. So, you know, if you need to figure out if you want to get divorced, you can go to therapy. I mean, I say it a little nicer now saying it now. Um, but if you've decided that divorce is what you want, I can help you with that. Um, but that's because your opportunity, Christina, to present those other options to them. And that's what I tell people, you know, doing nothing is always option number one. You can do nothing and continue the way you are, or you can get divorced. And then here's your different options on how to make that happen. And that's when you go in and you explain about mediation and you explain about uncontested divorces versus contested divorces and the collaborative process and other things that people, again, aren't aware of. They think it's all and you mentioned it in one of your other podcasts, War of the Roses. You know, they see stuff on TV and they think that that's really how things happen. I'm forever telling people that it's, it's not like what you see on TV. It's not Judge Judy. This is far, far worse than all of that and everything. But you have options and you have more control and more ability to um, guide this ship and tell us where we're all going and play a bigger part in this than you may realize. Well, the thing that bothers me about the options, like that word and, and that discussion is that, you know, I'm going to get like David Nagel on everybody. I know some of you have, you know, worked with David Nagel, but once you make a decision, the rest of it will fall into place. Like not magically, but once you decide. Right, which is why you should refuse to answer the question. You shouldn't answer that. None of us should answer that question. What are my options? Okay. What a because bullshit question. For me, it's like, I, I agree with you. I think I think it's bullshit because if you're calling and asking someone that, it's because you haven't really decided that you want a divorce. And what I'm afraid happens with these people is they go, oh, okay, well, if it looks too ugly or if it's going to be too expensive or if I'm going to lose too much or it's going to be too inconvenient, then I'm not going to do it. So but they're it, looking... But in doing that, and I'm just going to like, increase conversion rates right here, right? In doing that, we're, like, we're listening to the question... We have this inbred humans, not just people on the screen, not just lawyers. We all do. We have to like, we have this like intense desire to answer the question that was just asked. And I'm just saying don't because it's not the question. It's what they think the question is, but it's not the question. What they're really saying is I have no idea what's on the other side. And you've got to change the conversation. Say, listen, I, I'll be glad to tell you about your options, but first, you tell me in your ideal world, and you can change anything except for one thing. In your ideal world, two years from now, what is your life like? And the one thing you can't change is anybody else. Mm, that's a good one. And you can change everything else about your life, but you can't change people. So what is your life like? And we spend, I'll spend as long as someone wants thinking through that and getting to an answer. Because until you have that answer, how dare you talk about options? Options for what? Yeah. You go soak your head in the Hudson River. That's your option. I mean, you know, 
the option is now that you've described your life, do you want it? That's it. Yeah, I have asked people that at times, like if you're, I hate to say it's more often women that I have this dialogue with, um, but you know, if your husband was exactly the same in a year, do you want to be there? I mean, he will be. What, what do you think he's, yeah, like I've said that, like, well, okay, let's break it down. Like, what have you done to try to get him to change? Is it working? <laughs> you know, I try to get them to come to the answer on their own. Um, but if I can't do that in one consultation, I tell them I think they should go see a counselor. Well, you know, Einstein said that you can never solve a problem at the level of consciousness with which, at which it presents. And when they say, I want to know my options, that means that you can never solve their problem at the level of options. So getting beneath the question to figure out what's going on. Are they miserable and they and they just want to know how miserable, as you're talking about, I will be if I choose divorce? Maybe that's worse, you know, because the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know, and you know, emotionally speaking. Or are they saying, I've already decided to get divorced and I want to know how I'm going to present that to myself and to my children and to my spouse, right? Or my family of origin or my community. Or, or whatever it is. And I think that I agree that refusing to answer the options question and instead go beneath it and see, you know, why do you ask is really the, the important conversation and a much more helpful and perhaps less frustrating conversation for all of us. Yeah, I find the option talkers, though, they, they don't close, at least not then. They might call back months later. But, you know, you're right, Chris. I mean, they those go people- deeper. Yeah. yeah, they don't they don't typically close because they're not really decided. Yeah, but legitimately, they could be saying, you know what? I heard a podcast uh, that Christina Private did, and it was about uh, that divorce court thing, that, you know, documentary. And I saw that, and that was pretty horrifying, to be honest with you. And I thought, well, you know what? They said we should get educated, and I'm really trying to educate myself on what divorce looks like, what's involved, because I really don't know. And I think that's a fair question. And I that is a fair question, but that's not. What what they that you know these people that are referring to they don't say that well again you it's clarifying what they're looking for you know i tell my consults all the time i'm not here to talk you into or out of di divorce mm -hmm. okay which is why i want to know where the end goal is but if i get asked that question i'm going to answer them what their options are no one's contacting me out of the blue just for you know no reason um they want to know they want it to be less scary. They want to know that they have other available pathways to that next life or what they're, where they want to be. And you might have to help steer them and you might have to go a little deeper with them and everything, but you also have to be very careful because some of these people have never thought about the things that y'all are talking oh, about. Oh yeah. And it oh, yeah. Them even more, it alienates them even, <laughs> even more and it makes them really uncomfortable and, and, and everything. So yeah, you have to really, you know, and it's, you gotta be careful. We're not, I at least am not a psychologist or a therapist and everything. I'm here to assist you with your legal problems and everything. And so, yes, counseling is very, very important. And getting people in to see a counselor or a therapist while they're going through this process can sometimes be vital. Yeah, well, well we just covered a lot. Um, I feel like there's at least, you know, three topics that we could segue off into and do another roundtable. <laughs> Anytime. Like billing and <laughs> consultations, um, but we don't have time for that today. So, but I want to thank you guys. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was nice to reconvene with you, uh, former HTMers, right? All, yes. Is anybody in HTM right now? Not that I, I want to plug HTM because we. I want to plug Chris because I have worked with Chris in the past, and I think we can see here that he's um, really adept at a lot of aspects of running a law firm and sales and like the Blues Brothers. I'm on a mission. <laughs> yes, and he is on a mission. We're going to change this. Yeah, so I highly recommend that you work with him. And Chris, can you, I, I want to plug you. So tell us about, um, I forget what you call them, the Unbillable Hour. Okay, thing. yeah, I was going to say, or about Sunnyside. But uh, yeah, so the Unbillable Hour is a great place to get started. That uh, So, and you can, on the Legal Talk Network, you can go to the Unbillable Hour. You can look for it on legaltalknetwork.com. Unbillable Hour is a podcast. 
Um, it's a monthly podcast with great guests that we talk about the business of law, various aspects of it. it has to do usually with either acquiring new clients, running your law firm business, or about the metrics, or sometimes about you. Um, but the cool thing that we just added about six months ago is also once a month, we have the Unbillable Hour community table where lawyers can come and they're part of the show. You can come with your questions and get them answered absolutely free. Um, for you know, we just would, and we just chat, and uh, and and it's a it's just a great opportunity to kind of bring your problems out there. If I have solutions, it's great. Sometimes other people on the call have solutions, and uh, it's a very valuable. Uh, the listeners and the attendees of that find it very valuable um, to participate. So I welcome anybody to that. If you want to know more about that, also you can just email me at Christopher at SunnysideLaw.com. Okay, and I'll put all that in the comments. Yay. But- Thank you, guys. Would love to do this again sometime. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And um, I hope you all have a wonderful 2023. You too. We will. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.